So last Sunday after third service, Denise and I were at the doors out here meeting and greeting people, and, and a woman came up to me that I really don't think we've met. I didn't remember meeting her, and she said, um, you remember last year when we did the 21-day fast? And I said, yes, I do, and my mind starts spinning because I thought, oh, I should tell you all, we're getting ready to do a 10-day fast as a church, you know, in January. And she said, well, I just want you to know that we've really struggled with six years of infertility. And in my world, that doesn't always end well, and I don't know what's next. I don't know what she's about to say. And, and so she said, yeah, for six long years, <clears throat> she said, my husband and I, we've, we just, you know, every month, and it's just disaster and so sad. She said, during the 21-day fast, though, last January, um, we took you seriously, and we gave up some food, partial fast, and we prayed all, you know, day long for 21 days. And she said, I went for a pregnancy test in two weeks after the fast. And she said, um, I got pregnant. And I'm going, oh, that's great. I hope this turns out well, you know, because <laughs> I don't know what's next. And, and then she holds up a two-and-a-half-month-old baby boy and said, um, that's the result of our fast. And um, I took all the credit for it. <laughs> And I, I said, oh, I'm so, I'm so glad you said that. I'm so honored that, that you shared, you know, that, that story uh, uh, with us. And, and, I, and I thought, you know, six years, six long years of struggling with that? One of the reasons why on Mother's Day we stay away from life givers is because of all the pain, the layers of pain that are wrapped up with this. Um, I've promised several women of our church that on Mother's Day, I will be safe. You will be safe with me, and then we'll steer a little different direction and talk about women on Mother's Day. But, but I want to talk about life givers today. It's something that we need to talk about. It's something very valuable to God. God wants us to have life. He wants us to, to talk about this, and he wants us to do this really, really well. So I know that for some of you, this is a painful subject, but I'm asking for some grace because when it comes to a life giver, I think we're all life givers. Now, obviously, we're not all giving birth, but there's foster care. And several of you are involved in foster care. There's big brother, big sister programs that so many of you are engaged in. Um, there's adoption. I, I think those of you that adopt are heroes. I mean that. Um, we kid, tease our kids, hey, we got stuck with you three. But those of you that adopt, you know, you, you chose that. So I, I think that the people in the room who adopt are just, are just incredible heroes. And then so many of you have, have given birth, and so you have your own children and grandchildren and nieces and nephews. And so well, we're going to talk about this today. To begin this subject, though, I'm going to ask a question that seems a little obtuse, and you're going, where did that question come from? That came out of left field. Here's the question. Over lunch today at Panera or Chili's or wherever you go, talk about this. Why did Satan, in those early chapters of Genesis, why did Satan go after Eve? Why did he not go after Adam? And so when you think about the story, all of a sudden in those early chapters, the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the earth. 
And the Spirit of God began to take things from chaos to order. Everything was chaotic, and now with God's Spirit, there begins to be order. And God begins to say, let there be light, and let there be land, and let there be water, and let there be boundaries, and let there be, you know, insects and cattle. And all of a sudden, we have this amazing order of creation. And then God creates man. He creates Adam. And the scriptures are pretty clear about this. He takes, you know, the dust of the earth and he breathes life into man. And man becomes a living being. And then the crown of God's creation, that which God created last, was woman. Was, the, was someone who had the ability then to give life. And so I've thought about why did Satan target, why did he target Eve? Well, yeah, she was deceived, absolutely. And so some people think, well, she was an easier target. I don't think so. Adam stood there the entire time. Adam knew what was going on. He could have stepped up, hey, babe, time out. We're not going there. We're not doing that. Satan, back, crawl back into some hole you just came out of. But he just stood there. He was passive. She was deceived. Why did Lucifer target her? Well, I think our answers come out of Ezekiel chapter 28 and Isaiah chapter 14, where it describes Lucifer as this beautiful archangel, the most gorgeous of all angels, and yet Lucifer was not satisfied with being the angel. He was not satisfied with being in the presence of God. He had to be the most beautiful and the most well-known, and he wants to be God. And so when God creates woman, I think... Lucifer was insanely jealous of her because she could do something he could not do. Life givers. We know how this story begins in the Gospel of Matthew and the Gospel of Luke. We know Mary's story. Mary was going to be a very young life giver. And so we think about God's vision for Mary, and I think we sell Mary short. Now, Half of us in this room, half of you in the room are Protestants. Half of you in the room are Catholics. So I'm going to make everybody mad, and then I'll dig out of a hole, okay? (laughs) Protestants in the room have a tendency to sell Mary short, and Catholics in the room have a tendency to elevate Mary to a higher position than what she is. And when you look at the role that Mary had, we always talk about the birth. We always talk about how the story starts. But do you know how the story ends? Do you know how Mary spent most of her life and most of her time? And so I think God's vision for all of us as life givers is much larger than how the story starts. The story starts and it's like the birth is kind of like the easy part. And I, I made that mistake once. We were in a crowd and, and somebody asked Anita how labor was and, and our oldest was just a couple of weeks old. And I thought it was my turn to speak. I don't know why. I've been watching all these movies, you know, Lamaze classes and stuff, you know, and and it wasn't nearly as bad as the movies, and so I I thought it was my time to speak, and I said it really wasn't that bad. (laughs) And then he just said, excuse me? And I knew at that moment it was a bad moment. And and so, so when you give birth or you adopt or you're a big brother, you're a big sister, that's just the beginning of it. 
God's vision for you and, and me as life givers and those that support life, it's much bigger than Mary's vision. Do you know how the story ends? The story ends with the most valuable thing that anybody in this world could ever possibly, could possibly do for their kids, for their grandkids, for their nieces, and for their nephews. We, we know how the story starts. It starts at Christmas. It starts with Zechariah. It starts with Elizabeth. 400 years of silence. Things have been dead, and now all of a sudden it's back on. Look at Luke chapter 1, verse 26. You know the story. You know how it starts. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee. Why Elizabeth? Because she's old, and she's way past childbearing. But a miracle's about to take place. She's going to give birth. So the angel comes to a virgin who's pledged to be married to a man named Joseph. Everybody know the story so far? Nothing new so far. A descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and he said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. Now, why did he say this? Well, a couple reasons. When an angel came to you, you weren't sure which way the greeting was going to go. Is it a greeting of life? Is it a greeting of death? And so everybody kind of got freaked out every time an angel came. The Lord is with you, he said. Mary was greatly troubled at his words, and she wondered, again, there's our key word, what kind of a greeting is this going to be? Not all greetings were great. Verse 30, the angel said to her, Mary, don't, don't be afraid. You have found favor with God. And you're going to conceive, and you're going to give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. Now, we'll skip down a couple verses, and she's going, huh? Verse 34, how will this be, Mary asked the angel, since, since I am a virgin? Great question. Life, she knew, life doesn't happen without, you know, the other part. And so how's this going to take, take place? Verse 35. The angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come on you. And the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. It's Yeshua, the Messiah. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child. Mary, you need a little confirmation. You know Elizabeth. Elizabeth is older. She's past childbearing. She's for years and years and years wanted to give life. She couldn't. I'm telling you, this is how you'll know God's in this. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she, who is said to be unable to conceive, is in her sixth month. For no word of God will ever ever fail. You know how the story starts. I've never been pregnant. I'll never be pregnant. I'll never give birth, right? But that's still the easy part of this process. How does the story end? Well, we know what takes place next. We know that Mary and Joseph have to flee Uh, You know about King Herod, paranoid man. He was 69 years old when this story takes place. He's got liver problems, lung problems, gonorrhea, and he'll die shortly. But he's paranoid. The dude is absolutely paranoid. And so you know about the massacre of the boys, right? You know that story, how he's going to go kill all the baby boys because he doesn't want any threat to his throne. So we fast forward then about another 10 years, and we know that at age 12... Jesus gets lost from the caravan. He's not with everybody. 
Mom and dad and aunts and uncles and everybody travels to Jerusalem for one of the three main feasts, and they all are going back home. But Jesus is in the temple courts talking to the, to the chief priests. And Mary's troubled by this. And Mary basically says to him, Son, why have you treated us like this? And he says what? I had to be about my, my father's business. Fast forward now about 18 years. Jesus is about 30, 29 and a half, 30 years of age. And they're at a wedding. And during the reception, during the wedding reception, they run out of food and drink. Now, for us, you know, a two- or three-hour reception, that's not a real big deal. Everybody can go home, right? But for them, they might travel for a month to get there. And these weddings lasted sometimes at least a week, sometimes three weeks. And so not to have any beverage for a long period of time is a social disgrace and nightmare. And so the mother, Mary, says to Jesus, they have no more wine. And he says, Mom, what do you want me to do? My time has not yet come. And she just kind of ignores him, right? When you women know they should do something, you just kind of ignore us and your children. And she just kind of pushes, prods the whole thing along. And she tells the servant, just do whatever he asks you to do. And there's these big stone water jars filled with water. And Jesus turns water into wine. And the Gospel of John says, this is the first miracle that was performed in Cana of Galilee. And then we read about Jesus' brothers and mom, a little bit later, are so confused. Jesus is gaining such popularity with all the people, but he's causing all kind of religious turmoil and tension, and the religious leaders are not following him. And so Mary and her sons come to kind of pick Jesus up and like reboot him. Let's start all over again. Jesus, you're not doing this the way we think it should happen. You remember that story. Then one of the last stories that we probably all could, re- could relate to and recite is in John chapter 19. Jesus is on the cross. He's been on the cross, and he will be on the cross for a total of six hours. Three hours, and then another three hours of complete darkness. And before it all shuts down and everything goes dark, Jesus sees the, 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 his, his, one of his disciples, John, James and John. He sees that John standing near to his mother. And he says, John, behold, behold your mother. In other words, take care of my mother, Mary. I want you to take care of Mary. And Mary, this is now going to be your son, John. You're going to fall under his umbrella. Don't resist him. Don't rebel. Let him take care of you. Behold your mother. Mother, behold your son. We know that story. Jesus dies. And then the story really gets good. Because Jesus rises from the dead. And do you know where Mary is when Jesus is is, is being risen from the dead? Do you know where Mary is when everything is on the line and things were dangerous and things were uncertain and things were scary? Mary was right there in the midst of all this. You see, God's vision for you as a life giver, adoption, big brother, big sister, foster care, your own kids. God's vision for you is much bigger than you just getting pregnant, going through 40 weeks, water breaking, pushing like crazy for several hours, and coming home with the hospital with a baby. It's bigger than that. That is so minuscule. That is so small. So here's Mary. Here's how the story ends in Acts chapter 1, verse 12, 13, and 14. It's a great story. Don't miss this. 
Then the apostles return to Jerusalem. What's happened? Jesus is risen from the dead. Jesus has made 40 days of post-resurrection appearances. For 40 days, they ate with Jesus. They watched Jesus. They prayed with Jesus. They worshiped with Jesus. And Mary, the mother of Jesus, for 40 days gets to see her boy interact with him again. And then Jesus ascends into heaven. And right after he ascends into heaven, the angel says, Men of Israel, Jerusalem, why are you standing around here? This same Jesus will come back in the same way he left you. Here's the next story. Everything's on the line right now. There's no church. There's no Holy Spirit. There's no momentum. There's no movement. There are no elders. Everything's on the line. The kingdom of God hangs in the balance. The apostles returned to Jerusalem from the hill called the Mount of Olives, a Sabbath day's walk from the city. And when they arrived... They went upstairs to the room where they were staying. Those present were Peter, John, James, Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus, and Simeon, the zealot, and Judas, the son of James. Now, don't miss this. Here's how the story ends. They all joined together constantly in prayer, along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. We all know how the story starts, but what did Mary do with her time? What did Mary do with her energy? How did Mary spend her life? Now, I really like that last, those last two words too, his brothers. What would it take to convince your brother that you were the son of God, the Messiah? Huh? I mean, you couldn't do it, could you? I mean, there's no way you're going to be able to convince one of your family members, you know, that you are the Messiah, right? They're right there. They're dialed in. It's scary. It's uncertain. It's illegal. And right now, everything hangs in the balance, and Mary is right there in a prayer meeting praying for her son, praying for her son's work, praying for the future of the church, praying for the future of the kingdom of God. Now, don't miss this. Don't miss this. See how she's fighting? She's fighting a spiritual battle. She's fighting a spiritual realm. I love New Life Solutions. I love the fact that we as a church support New Life Solutions. We do the walk with New Life Solutions. We financially support them. We relationally. I love New Life Solutions. And this past year, New Life Solutions has saved 700, up to date, 700 babies from being aborted. I am pro-life. I am all for this. I love this. I, I love those 700 babies. But if you miss it, if you think that's the entirety of the vision, you miss it. Those 700 babies that Satan wanted to abort, they now face other, other battles that are now in the spiritual realm. Every one of us as parents and grandparents and aunts and uncles and nieces and nephews, the thief comes to steal, kill, and to destroy. It's not just about these 700 babies being born. That's just the beginning of the entire process. 
Now, how do we pray for them? How do we come alongside of them? Here's what I'm trying to say. I, I think we're missing it. I see parents and grandparents fighting for academics. And you should fight for academics. I see parents and grandparents fighting for athletics. I think you should support that. I see parents and grandparents fighting for music and fighting for you know, other activities. I think that's wonderful. I think you should. But if you miss the spiritual realm, the real battle is fought in the spiritual, which is so unseen. Mary got that. Mary wasn't just worried about the present. Mary was worried about the spiritual dimensions that needed to take place. And so my friends, we have such a divine opportunity. Yes, he's out to steal, kill, and to destroy. But greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. And so we tap into that. And we pray. And we have a life devoted to where we stand in the gap for all of our kids and all the people around us. Imagine how many children are impacted by us in this room. Uh, there's three or 400 kids every Sunday morning, hundreds of students every, every Sunday morning. I'm talking bigger than that. How many kids are in your neighborhood? How many kids are in your family in Michigan, Indiana? They don't get to enjoy the good weather that we do. How, how many, how many are, are involved in your life? You see, the real vision for Mary I don't think, was when Gabriel shows up and says, you're going to have a kid. I think the real vision was, Mary, you're going to be helping to fight spiritual battles for your son and for the kingdom of God your entire life long. And I, I know we miss that. We're so worried about the prom. We're so worried about a date. We're so worried about a new car, a used car for our kid. We're so worried about Christmas presents. We're so worried about the ACT and the SAT, and we should be worried about some of that. I don't disagree with any of that. But are you worried about the spiritual forces of evil that are at work against your kids and your grandkids? That's the battle. That's the battle that you need to fight. So how do we do that? What would be one area? Well, again, what's she doing? In Acts chapter 1, verse 14, she's praying. So just one little suggestion today. I want to be very specific for the next seven or eight minutes. How can you pray? How can you have a prayer meeting for your kids and your grandkids? How can you devote your life? And I thought about something else this week that I've never thought about before. My, uh, my kids will be adults if they live and all goes well, longer than they will be kids, right? Think about this. My kids will be children for about 18 years, right? But if they live to be 80 or 85, they're going to be adults. For all. Why would I not have a whole lifetime of praying for my adult children? Starts when they're small. One of our growth studies is going to do this January 18th. It's going to be all about this for women and for mothers. But why wouldn't we do this for our children, for our teenagers, for our adult children, have a lifetime of where we're fighting those battles for them? I'm trying to convince you that I think the real battle is fought 
in the spiritual realm. And I want to challenge you and encourage you to have a lifetime of prayer for that. So I'm going to give you some suggestions on how to pray. Write these on your bulletin, take them home, put them on your mirror, put them in your wallet, put them in your purse, do it, refrigerator, do with them whatever you want to do with them. But here's how you can pray. How do you pray for, your, for the children, small children, young children? Well, I think you start with their faith, that they fall in love with God. I think you pray for their faith, they fall in love with God's Word. I want to pray for my grandchildren, that they have great faith. Number two, I think you pray for their character. They'll have wisdom, a servant's heart, compassion, and self-control. Number three, obviously we pray for safety. Absolutely. Ethan's 23, our middle child's 23. I never thought he'd live past age five. I'm not kidding you. He's wide open, just going Mach 1, jumping off. I never thought he'd make it to five. I know he's killed at least two dozen angels in the process. But absolutely you pray for their safety. Number four. You pray for their relationships. You've heard me say this before. Show me your friends. I'll show you your future. You definitely want to pray for your kids' friends and friendships and relationships. So, so again, if you're asking me, moms, life givers, I think that's your job. I think that's your responsibility. If you're a Christian, if you're in the spiritual world, I think every day that's your job. And I'm not taking the guys off the limit, but I'm just talking to to women today. I think every day you make a list of how you want to pray for your kids. If they're teenagers, I think you you still stay with those. So the next blanks for teens, you obviously want to pray for a teen's faith, a teen's character, a teen's safety, a teen's relationship. But I would add two more. I would add number, number, number five. I would add victory over temptations. Everybody has temptations. Temptation is your constant friend or your constant companion or constant enemy. We will always have temptations. Temptations are not the problem. The problem is succumbing to temptations, right? And temptations change. All of us in this room know that about the time we get this temptation managed, it changes and we have new temptations. Am I the only unspiritual one in the room? Anybody else agree with that? And so, so we pray for temptations. Thank you. Three of you agree with me. So we pray for temptations. Victory. Help our middle schoolers, help our high schoolers to have victory over temptations. I definitely think you pray for their future. You definitely pray for their career. You certainly pray for who they date and how those relationships go and if they're to marry and not to marry and what schools to go to. I, I think you definitely pray for your, for your students' future. So the only reason you wouldn't do this is if you didn't see the value of how the enemy wants to destroy, distract, confuse your children and your grandchildren. Well, what about your adult children? Again, this was a new thought to me this week. I don't know where I'd been. But I just thought, you know, my kids are going to be adults longer than they're going to be children if, if, if all goes well. So how do you pray for your adult children? Let me give you some strong suggestions on this. Number one, to understand God's purpose for their life. This is really critical. See, because every child has a destiny. I believe every one of those 700 babies that were saved this past year with New Life Solutions, I believe they have a destiny. 
That woman's name was Hope out there who'd been trying to get pregnant for six years. She holds up little baby Logan, who's two and a half or three months old. Logan has a destiny. Every one of your kids has a destiny, a spiritual destiny that God wants them to fulfill. And so you pray, you stand in the gap for them. Number two, I think you help them to understand and you pray for that they'll work successfully and have financial stability. The Bible talks more about money than any other subject combined. The Bible talks about how to earn money. The Bible talks about how to save money. The Bible talks about how to invest money. You want your adult children to understand money and to be able to work well and leverage their money for the kingdom of God. That's a great prayer request. Number three, avoid sexual pollution and destructive behavior. Do you realize that King Solomon and King Saul and King David were all in their 40s and 50s when they lost it? They weren't like young adults. They were like 50-year-old men is when they went spiritually AWOL. So why wouldn't we be praying for our children? There's a lot in our, our adult children. There's lots of sexual pollution in this world, lots of destructive behavior, right? Either with me or you're not breathing or you're, I'm not sure. I just, you're like, oh, no. All right, are you with me? All right, let's look at the next one. We want to pray that our, our adult children will experience good health. And if needed, God's healing. Absolutely, we want good health. And we want to do the things that help us to stay healthy. We want to eat well and exercise well and do those kinds of things that allow us, again, to leverage our lives for the king. Look at the next one. We want to walk into the future God has for them. Again, I I just believe that God has a future for every one of your kids and your grandkids. I believe God has a plan for every one of your neighborhood kids. I believe God has a plan for every one of your nieces and your nephews. And we want to pray for that, that they'll walk into that future and they'll embrace that future. And it can be a straighter line versus that zigzag that takes them forever to find it. Lord, let them get their straight path. And the last one is this. They'll learn how to fight the spiritual battles with and for their family. And we all have spiritual battles. Every one of us in this room faces spiritual battles. We all do. And so how do we come alongside of these young adults and our adult children and pray over them and pray for them and and pray with them? Psalm 18 says this, The Lord is my rock, my fortress, my deliverer. My God is my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. I called to the Lord. In other words, I prayed for my young baby still in the womb. I I prayed for my toddlers. I prayed for my kindergartners. I prayed for my middle schoolers and high schoolers. I prayed for my my young adults. I, I pray to you, God. For my adult children, I pray over my adult children. I come to you asking you and beseeching your vision and your values for them. You see, I love how the story of Mary ends. We all know how the story begins. But Mary's life was a life of devotion and dedication to the kingdom of God. And she was in a prayer meeting praying for the future 
of the church. What a story. What a legacy that Mary left. I called to the Lord who is worthy of praise, and I have been saved from all of my enemies. I'm going to ask you to stand, and I want to pray pray over you and pray for you. I'm going to ask our prayer partners to come down front, and maybe today you need some special prayer. Maybe you want special prayer for your family. Maybe you've got a grandson or granddaughter that's gone AWOL, or maybe it's great things, spiritual opportunities that you want. You just want special prayer. You want, you want somebody to pray over your family because you, you just you, you need it. But I, I want to pray over you right now, and I, I want to pray for all of you young mothers in this room, and especially for those of you that are pregnant for the very first time. You're a life giver. God has a vision for you. It's not just, you know, the eight or nine months that you're going to be pregnant. It's a lifetime, a legacy of spiritual battle that you're standing in the gap. I want to pray for all of you that have adopted. I think you're heroes. I want to pray for all of you that are involved in foster care, big brother and big sister. Talk about putting your faith into action where the rubber meets the road. I'm so proud of you. I'm proud to be a part of New Life Solutions. We as a church just get a little bit, we get to be a part of it. I'm so proud of our financial contribution. I'm so proud of our volunteer. I I just love this. So I want to pray. I want to pray over you, pray for you. Our gracious Heavenly Father, you have a destiny for every child in the womb and outside the womb. So I want to start with these first-time ladies who are pregnant for the very first time. And I pray blessings over them. And I pray a lifetime of prayer. I pray for all these women in this room who are part of the foster care, who have adopted. Oh, God, put your hand on them to be greater and greater prayers for their children and for their grandchildren. Almighty God, we're so blessed to have all these little ones here and the middle schoolers and the high schoolers and and the young adults and our adult children. We're so blessed this time of year. And we're coming to you praying for them. Growth, maturity, development, spiritual, dialed into your words and world and what you want. So, Father God, we humbly come before you and say, help us to all fulfill the spiritual destinies that we have. And we thank you for all that. In the wonderful name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.